This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Please don't forget about the gram at Burns Clan. Follow at your own risk. And joining me today is the founder of The Witness, very extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, the two-time best-selling author, Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? What up, what up, what up, what up? Again, we are in person, face to face. I don't know how you said that many what ups. You said eight what ups. You said eight what ups in cool, two cool, seconds. Cool, 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 Listen, cool, cool, cool. man, Jamar, we got to get into it because you got you got some bars to get off. July seventeenth, twenty twenty, an icon dies in our American culture. A man by the name of John Lewis. Most people understand that on Bloody Sunday at the Edmund Pettus Bridge, John Lewis was one of the ones who marched in favor of for the right to vote in Selma, Alabama. John Lewis had his skull cracked for the right to vote. John Lewis, who received this state funeral, who who had all these people that applauded him, gave him flowers. And now we have another attack on voting rights. What he was fighting 50, 60 years ago, we still fighting today. Tell me about this, Jamar. How serious is the voting rights, rights crisis in America right now? If I could put it in a sentence or a question, it would be, are you ready to have your skull fractured for democracy? Ooh. That's a hold situation. Up, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. That's a provocative question. So a lot of people are going to be sitting back thinking, hold on, what do you mean my skull fractured? <laughs> I can vote just fine. Mm. Why is it that we don't see the present danger? What is the present danger, Jamar? Oh, bro. Okay, so, so as we record this, there was an attempt yet again to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. It failed in the Senate by a vote of 48 to 52, with every single Republican senator voting against it and two Democratic senators, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, okay, Sinema voting Manchin. against okay, it. Okay, bet, bet. So, so it failed. And, and every time these federal election laws to protect the right to vote for all people fails, we hurdle closer and closer to minority rule and to authoritarianism and almost autocracy, hmm. right? Hmm. So, so here's the thing. The reason why Biden was able to gain the presidency was because Trump's efforts to get local election officials and state election officials to overturn the results failed. Right. Because it was relatively unprecedented, right? right? He didn't have loyalists loyalists in place in these particular states. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are calling that a coup attempt or or a dress rehearsal for a coup. Dress rehearsal for sure. So uh, let's let's also not forget that they tried to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Oh, yes, that's right. Absolutely. So So it's so funny. There's so much that happened from 2016 to 2020 that it's almost like I forget how wild that actually was. Right. And I know we're not trying to think back on those four years, but they're still here. Well, it's, (laughs) it's, it's, it's a momentum that's pushed us to the brink. So here's the thing. 
we, we, we often call the United States a democracy. <laughs> it's a curtailed democracy at best, right? right. So it, it, even the vote was originally for landowning white men. They even yes. excluded poor white people from from this hmm. uh, during the Jim Crow era. They were they were fine to 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 let some poor white people not be able to vote. But all of this is in support of white supremacy. And so the the rub is, black people and other people of color have always pushed for something called a multiracial democracy. Mm-hmm. Yes, which we've never actually had. So it took the 1965 Voting Rights Act to even legally make it so that everyone could vote. That has never been an equitably distributed right because of different requirements and, mm-hmm. and votes. Here's yes. the wild thing, bro. Like, like, here's the thing. We need to do some comparative politics here. Okay. Because there are other nations in the world that vote, but the structure of the vote makes more sense. For instance, hmm. it's a national holiday when they vote. Right. Or yes, it's on the weekend yes, when they yes, vote. Yes, yes. Or they're automatically registered when they yes. turn 18 or whatever it might be. Yes. We make it harder to vote, not easier. And you got to stand in line for six, oh my gosh, eight you hours stand sometimes. In line. You, you, you make laws that you can't hand out water to people standing in line. You yeah. close the polling yeah. uh, locations in predominantly yeah. black and brown communities, yes. right? And it's all, quote unquote, colorblind because they yes. never use the words black or white, but gerrymandered districts all of this stuff oh gerrymandering so interesting you can get away with it if you say it's strictly for political reasons and as long as you don't sort of explicitly mention race but we know a majority yes yes (laughs) the political parties fall along racial lines so all that to say bro and I want I do want to say something before you move on from that there is an attack I know in Florida and also locally uh, where I live against souls to the polls which has always been a big thing within black church communities to be able to take people on Sunday for early voting. Right. Right. And to be able to basically, you know, pack up a a van or a bus and literally go to the polling place because people who might be indisposed, not have transportation, might be elderly, still desire to vote and have their voice be heard. And they know how important it is, but it's, it's important for them to have transportation to be able to get there safely, you know, or to be able to get there around work or things like that. And so, we don't even have that. Right. And, and, and so a lot of people's objections, uh, there are the, all these laws being passed or proposed in states about, quote unquote, election integrity, mm-hmm. protecting the integrity of elections. And then they'll, they'll, they'll come back and say, well, why is voter ID such a big deal? Every, mm-hmm. Almost everybody has an ID. Right, and right. true enough, the majority of people have an ID. But you know the folks who don't? are poor, are black, are brown, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then in addition, and this is the bigger point, it's a solution in search of a problem. Hmm. All of this, all of the, these good, efforts bro. to protect election integrity are based on the, the lie, the misinformation, disinformation premise that there was some widespread fraud Mm-hmm. especially at the federal level. Mm-hmm. By the way, not a single person has been able to answer who objects to uh, the current state of elections. Not a single person has been able to answer how their preferred elected official got elected on the very same ballots that they say are fraudulent when the other guy gets elected mm. or lady gets mm. elected. You know what I'm saying? They're yes, on the same ballot. Yes. <laughs> so he, yes. either they are all illegitimate yeah. or they're all legit. 
I feel like if you're doing, if you're engaging with politics, right, even especially and especially in a Christian context, the question you always have to ask yourself when someone is talking about these words, like these buzzwords, like CRT, Marxism, election integrity, well, what do you really mean? <laughs> no, what are you talking about? What are you really talking about? Yes, yes. What's yes. your what's your real fear here? I, I feel like we have to get a layer deeper and we have to get used to doing that. Yes. Because even now with the bills that are trying, attempting to be passed in the state of Florida where I live, even now the bills that are attempting to be passed about white discomfort, about, you know, when educating on racial discrimination and banning public schools from talking about certain things that would make white students feel and any, in, in any way yeah. uncomfortable, yeah. right? D- the word discomfort, keeping them from feeling discomfort. I feel like we have to probe deeper. And so as we're in, in the spirit of probing deeper behind what it means and how important it is for the right to vote. We touched on it earlier, but if you take away the right to vote and the access to vote and the opportunity to vote from black and brown communities in particular, what does that do for us? How does that change our future? So I just want to touch a little bit more on the sort of how we got here part. Yeah, please, go because ahead. Because when we even talk about like democracy and voting rights and whatnot, we we, we, we tend to, to leech the racial implications out of it hmm. and have this sort of colorblind political analysis. But let's not delude ourselves into thinking that the current push by a large segment of the population and elected officials is disconnected from the fact that there was a Senate race in Georgia in which a black man and a Jewish man <laughs> right. got elected. Right. Of course. In what is supposed to be a safely red state. Right. And was supposed to tip the Senate in favor of. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's of course, the thing. Of course. Yes. Yes. So not only was it two racial and ethnic minorities who got elected, but it tipped the Senate in favor of the Democrats, right? Mm. That's what they're trying to prevent at the federal level. At the local level, what's happening is they're trying to install the people who will overturn election results, Mm. who Mm. will send different electors from the electoral college despite the popular vote. So all of the things that, that, that they attempted in 2020 but couldn't because it wasn't gamed out, Mm -hmm. now they're setting that up for 2022, just a couple of months. And then 2024, right? Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so you ask what's left to us. So my, my concern, we got to be realistic about this thing, right? So yes, what is happening is, and I'll just say that it's Republicans right now, are, are, are co-opting all the legal levers that we have to enact popular change. Mm-hmm. So if it's happening in the courts, Mm-hmm. installing particular judges at various levels. It's happening um, at the state level with election procedures. Mm-hmm. It's, e- it's even happening at school boards. Hmm. I mean, you can go down the list, bro. And here's what's going to happen. Yes, that's true. We are supposed to say, if we don't like the way our country is going, we elect people who represent our interests. We're not going to be able to do that. Let's take a break. Let's let that sink in. And then when we come back, I want to talk about the fierce urgency of now, because I think that's what's required in this voting rights conversation. We'll be right back on Pass the Mic. 
Hey folks, Jamar Tisby here, and I am so grateful for your support, your listening, your engagement with the Pass the Mic podcast. I'm wondering if this podcast has been helpful to you, challenging, encouraging, if you would consider becoming a paid subscriber to the podcast for as little as $1 an episode, you can help keep this good work going. Just visit patreon.com slash pass the mic. That's patreon.com slash pass the mic. We appreciate you for your support. So, Jamar, right before our break, you talked about us not having an option. Yeah. Us not having an opportunity to respond to something that would disenfranchise us. And so what's left? So when all legal means of recourse are cut off, then we have to pursue extra legal means. Hmm. I say extra legal because the right to protest is enshrined in founding documents right Right. but so listen y'all like i've been saying time and time again we're living in the next generation of the civil rights movement by which i mean especially the way things are going now we're gonna have to march Hmm. but we are also looking at the very likely possibility of imprisonment Hmm. of illegal surveillance Hmm. of everything that we saw FBI and certain agencies do to disrupt the black freedom movement in the sixties and seventies. And we're also looking at John Lewis situations where I said, are you ready to have your skull fractured for democracy? There will be blood, bro. (laughs) I watched uh, a documentary on the January 6th insurrection. The way some of these folks were spoiling for a fight was absolutely chilling. Hmm. They almost want things not to go their way to give an excuse for brutality. Right. And I just don't know if we're prepared for that, even mentally, that that's where we are. You know, what's funny. I remember a conversation that we had in a back room a few years back at the Joy and Justice Conference And someone asked us what's next. Mm. And I remember instinctually in that moment, I said, violence. That's what I felt. You know, not that we would ever want that or desire that, but that at a certain point, the next iteration of the civil rights movement comes to a head and people are so emboldened to fight for justice that they take the streets in record numbers in 2020. Or there's such a move for justice that people feel compelled or pushed or pressured to also get out there and protest alongside and march and do whatever. And whether or not they believe with the same convictional fervor, what we do see is that there's this broader movement and now they're in record numbers. And now there's changes in the way that we see legal cases prosecuted whether it's Ahmad Arbery or George Floyd. We didn't see that with Breonna Taylor, but there's going to be other instances where that's the case. And so when we're getting prosecution and when there's this proliferation of black art and culture and black people in the highest levers of power and people are taking the streets, 
that at a certain point, the powers that be who want to keep the country the same will look at this and say, we can't stop them any other way but by violence. And even more frightening than that, that they feel like they can't stop the momentum or the progress any other way is that they want the violence. Hmm. They're, they're looking for an excuse for it. Um, And and, and this is interesting. I'm going to let you continue, but what's interesting about what you're saying is I think this is the fruits of a root problem, which is when toxic white masculinity goes mm. unchecked and really toxic masculinity in general, but when it goes unchecked, and when there is a cultural identification with brute force and violence and warrior motifs, when white men are getting connected again with their Viking roots. <laughs> Viking roots. I'm just saying when there's this when there's this fascination with North Norse mythology now, which wow. typically includes some sort of 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 savage white expression of violence wow. and dominance. And yeah, I said it. <laughs> What what happens now? Now, th- this is part of your identity. Right. This is part of who you are. This is part of what you feel like you have to do. And then how, who, who do you take it out on? The people who are infringing on your rights, according to the popular narrative. So literally the past, you know, 2016 to, to really, I should say 2015, mm-hmm. because he was doing it before, but really 2015 up until now, it's been a mobilization. It's been a stirring. It's been it's been gasoline that's been poured on the fire. And, you know, 45 did that. He poured gasoline on the fire. Absolutely. He didn't start the fire, but he, he didn't start the fire. He accelerated just it. it. He just accelerated it. So what do you what what you're saying is we need the fierce urgency of now. We need the fierce urgency of now. I'm concerned that we as citizens don't quite realize it. We we're seeing more rumblings of it. Like it was really interesting. Uh Latasha Brown, Cliff Albright of Black Voters Matter. Shout out to Black Voters Matter. Yes. They are calling Democrats to the carpet yeah. for not pulling out every single stop to save no. democracy. Got to shout out Jamil, state state organizer. For okay, it. word, what, word. Home team, home team. I love it. I love <laughs> it. This man rides hard for Pensacola. Look, Florida. man, home team, man. Um, and, the ch- and church home team, too. Anyway. <laughs> so, so there are folks raising the alarm yeah right but the general populace and the christian populace like man bro what are we arguing about in the church right now Hmm. you know is it about the fate of democracy which i i believe there's a theological component say say that talk about that right like like uh, christians can exist in many different forms of government but i believe it dignifies the humanity the agency of people to have a vote where they have a say in how they are led and how their society is shaped. And to deny that then somehow diminishes that agency, diminishes that ability to, to, to determine one's own future. And, 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 and so as people of faith, we should be, passionate supporters of democracy, representative democracy, um, because it honors the image yes. and likeness of God in yes. people. Yes. And that should not mm. be a partisan issue. Mm. Yes, it's political in terms of Absolutely. its electoral politics. Of course. But that should not have a division along red or blue. 
Yes. Conservative or, or liberal, right? That's just yeah, vote and then hash it out in terms of policy. What's better, you know, yeah. right? Yeah. But at least give everybody a say. What are, what should we do then? What should we do? What are you what are you telling? First of all, let's let's talk to everyday black Christians. Black Christians are listening to this and they're saying, Well, what do I do as a result of this? How do you prepare for what you you believe in and it sounds like you're saying is inevitable? Unless there's a, a massive sea change or federal legislation to protect the right to vote, we're gonna be experiencing this maybe in a less than a year. Yeah. <laughs> and then in two more years for a presidential election. What do you say to everyday black Christians for how we prepare for this? Don't get distracted and don't let them silence you. Hmm. Don't get distracted. There's a lot of issues. There are a lot of justice issues that, that are legitimate for us to pay attention to. Sort of baseline to most of that stuff is the right to vote. Mm-hmm. The right to enact policy changes, legislative changes, through the vote. The peaceful transfer of power yeah. has been the hallmark of this nation. Right. For all its flaws, you can change the leader every four to eight years at the federal level without weapons, without guns, without bloodshed, right? That's what we're trying to preserve here. So if mm-hmm. we don't have that, how can we pursue environmental justice? How can we pursue uh, abolishing the death penalty? Right. How can we pursue healthcare reform, right? So, so it's one of these um, rights that's foundational to every other yeah. change that we desire yeah. to make. So, so don't get distracted because the temptation will be to move on to the next headline, the next controversy, the next whatever, Right. Keep your eye on the ball. The second thing is don't let them silence you. And so this is particularly for black folks sort of in white spaces, because we get silenced when they say you're being political. Right. Just preach the gospel or you're just supporting Democrats. You hate Mm -hmm. Republicans Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. No, 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 no. This is the fate the political fate of the nation hmm. on the line. It, it, this is not normally what I would do in this context. But any resources that you feel like are fundamental for us to read, to understand the primacy of the right to vote. Are there any, re- I know I'm putting you on the spot with that. Yeah. Carol Anderson has a great book on voting rights. The title's escaping me now, but we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, I follow um, Bree Newsom, who I've mentioned mm-hmm. before, incredibly insightful and just no compromise yeah, yeah. in her whole being. Uh, so, so it's informative. I think, um, I don't know what this looks like. Cause I haven't, you, you, you probably have a better perspective on this, but getting involved in local politics yeah, or local legislation, whatever that might look like. I also, to that point, want to tie in this concept of, I talked about the everyday black Christian, I want to talk about black Christian leaders. Ooh, okay. That's the other thing I was going to say. Go ahead. Because I think it's important for us as black Christian leaders. I mean, even I'm, I'm thinking, frankly, of the witness. <laughs> beyond just simply pastorally, beyond just simply thought leadership. But how does the witness become a part of securing the right to vote? Because it seems counterproductive for us to talk about justice and for us to talk about flourishing And for us to critique the situation that we find ourselves in and the way that the church approaches it and not for us to get boots on the ground 
and say, what does it look like for the witness to sponsor a national souls to the polls? What does it look like for the witness to sponsor national, you know, work with, you know, Black Voters Matter or, you know, any one of these organizations that are actually pushing for this and to get behind it and to platform it and to partner, you know, like, what does that actually look like? Or even even us saying protect souls to the polls, you know, like, or us equipping pastors with a toolkit, you know, all these things that I feel like maybe people would think we're outside of our purview that I'm, I'm hearing you. And I'm, I'm saying as the founder of this organization, I think it's important for us to actually act on what you're saying. (laughs) Let's do something about it. Right, 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 right. Um, you're right. And, and I do see space room opportunity to a bring some of these issues to light and maybe have conversations with leaders and activists and organizers who are boots on the ground and can tell us in more yeah. granular detail what needs to happen. I've thought about, um, you know, this is this is just sort of dreaming, but it may be high time for that in the fierce urgency of now starting a 501c4, which can engage in active advocacy and lobbying, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and, and can be more explicitly yeah, politically yeah, oriented. Yeah. No, that's so, helpful. That's helpful. These are the things that we have to think about, yeah. bro. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm saying. I'm even thinking now about, you know, in a church context, how do we incorporate this within our monthly church calendar? So you think about one Sunday, I think it's going to be important for us every Sunday to talk about black health, like in some context. Then another Sunday is going to be important for us to talk about the environment, because that's something that black churches don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Then another Sunday is going to be important for us to talk about securing voting rights and making sure that people know where they can go to vote or justice right, matters. Right, right. Another is going to be talking about the poor and our generosity. So I'm thinking like, yo, how do we, how do we literally structure this to where it's a common theme that over the course of four Sundays, you're getting a well orbed like, no, we're always connected to the community. That's good. That's good. You know, And while it may not be in every, it's not in every sermon, and every topic isn't talked about in a sermon, but what we can say is there's going to be a liaison for each one of these things right. or a community city impact liaison. My, my team is probably sitting down. <laughs> probably like, oh, okay. Like, okay. These are new. Here we go. Right Here now. we go. This is going to be in the staff. <laughs> no, but I, I think that's, I think that's what is required now and it's radical action. And I've just been moved with John Lewis with thinking about the legacy of MLK, which we talk about, but don't act upon. Mm. Um, and, and also thinking about the nature of how does this disenfranchise, how do these things affect the education my children, my children will receive? How does this affect the healthcare my children will receive? How does this affect our livelihood, our well-being? We have to act. And if we're not the ones acting, then everything they said about us, every, every reason why people leave the church because we're not active in the world, it's all true. It's all true. We're validating it by our inaction. So I think of two things. Okay, so one, we have to draw on the black prophetic tradition. And, and, and this is for people of all races. We need to sit at the feet of black Christian leaders who are doing the work and have done the work historically, right? So, yes. so what would it look like, bro? This is so low-hanging fruit, but it's radical to do a, an excavation hmm. of Martin Luther King Jr.'s political theology. Hmm, hmm. For the 21st century. Because here's the thing, man. We know King in clips and snippets. Yeah. How long has it been since we've sat down and read one of the 
books that he's yeah. written, which I have no idea how he wrote a book with his schedule, but he wrote multiple. He left the country. That's how he did it. Where do we Sometimes, go from here? He left yeah. the country. Um, <laughs> even he just got whole away. speeches. He got away. <laughs> right? And then, and then to analyze what that means mm. for today. Mm. And that's just low-hanging fruit because everybody knows King, right? Yeah. Knows of him. But do we, do we know him? Right? As you said a moment, a moment ago, who, who we often talk about but don't follow yeah. his example. Okay. So that's one thing. But drawing on the black, he's not the only one, right? But the black prophetic tradition. The second thing. I I always have to remind myself I wrote a book that 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 you did. uses this you structure. Me. You did uses this structure. You if we think me. of the arc of racial justice, awareness, relationships, commitment, you ask yourself what do you, what do you do? One, informing yourself about voting rights, mm-hmm. right? Like getting into it and understanding like what was in this bill that just failed. It was going it it was proposing a national holiday for voting. That would have been revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. In and of itself. And that wasn't the been. only thing in it, right? It would have been. Um, so, so, so learning these things and, and building your awareness on this particular issue, whether it's reading books, watching documentaries, even following certain people on social media, whatever it might be. Relationships. This is one of the things that I've been saying lately. Part of relationships in the arc of racial justice is getting near people who you want to be like. Yeah, yeah. You've so if it's an activist, if it's an organizer, if it's whoever, how do you get in the presence of such people in meaningful ways, which may yeah. not always be in person, obviously COVID and, you know, some of these folks are, are, are national figures, right? But how do you get in proximity with the people who are doing the things that you think needs to hmm. need to be done? Hmm. Because that, we'll learn more that way than listening to all the podcasts in the world as dope as this one is. Um, and then <laughs> thank you for sliding that yes, in. Yes. Got to do it. And then commitment. Like this is the issue. Yeah. Voting rights, right? Like we, we, we can go down the list of issues and I'm not saying any of those is less valid, but just like we said before, the progress we make, we want to make on these other issues is possible or impossible or cur- curtailed according to the level of, freedom we have to vote yeah yeah this is challenging man sobering man here's what sobering is even for someone like me who does this work right like it requires a level of commitment investment and cost Hmm. that i don't know if i thought we'd have to do again hmm like, 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 would I be willing to go to jail for it? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Would I be willing to lose a job and income over this? Mm. It's risky. But, but, but I think the historical figures we look back and admire looked in the face of the injustice and said it's worth it. Justice takes sides. That's what we always say, right? The fierce urgency of now. Man, this has been sober. Thank you, Jamar, for getting this off. This has been extremely helpful. We got some work to do.
This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.